Always remember to consult with your physicians before making any changes to your current treatment plan. Today I have with me once again Dr. Allison O'Neill from the Jimmy Funds Dana uh, Fiber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts. The last time she was here, she was featured in the first episode about scanxiety, but today she's going to tell us what chemotherapy, radiation, and immunotherapy are. And so I just want to say, uh, Dr. O'Neill, welcome back to Living with Scanxiety. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Well, it's definitely a pleasure to have you back as well. And I just want to ask before we start off on the types of therapies, what is a typical day like for you at Dana-Farber? <laughs> it changes from day to day. But um, generally speaking, I spend about 50% of my time engaged in patient care. Uh, and for me, that means a day a week in clinic and um, multiple weeks kind of interspersed throughout the year, attending um, in the hospital, just caring for patients who are hospitalized in the hospital. Whereas, you know, the hospital when they're hospitalized, they're over at Boston Children's. And when they're outpatient or they're just seen in the clinic, that's at Dana-Farber Jimmy Funds Clinic. Uh, and so I, I kind of split my time between both institutions, although we're one unified program. And then the other 50% of my time is spent doing research. So that research consists of a multitude of different approaches towards learning more about uh, pediatric malignancies, particularly solid tumors. Uh, I run our liver tumor program, which has a large um, research component to it. And I um, run a laboratory program uh, invested in the creation of antibodies that target particular pediatric solid tumors as well. Oh, wow. That's definitely a full day (laughs) (laughs) or full week, whatever, Um, (laughs) however you want to look at it. But so you talked about uh, solid tumor. So on the broad spectrum, so to speak, what are the different types of cancers? Yeah, we traditionally group um, pediatric malignancy into a few different categories. So one is what we call liquid tumors or hematologic malignancies. Those are arising from the blood. And those particularly, there are a number of diagnoses that fall into that category, but the top two are leukemias, i.e. cancers of the blood, or lymphomas, cancers of the lymphatic system, also originating from the blood. The other uh, categorization is really solid tumors, and that's a very broad categorization. Uh, Within that broad umbrella, there are a few different um, categories. subcategories. One is brain tumors, and that's a very complex category of its own. But the solid tumors arising outside the brain fall into a number of kind of larger categories. So we describe them predominantly uh, based on where tumors arise. Um, One of the most common tumors that arises outside of the brain is neuroblastoma, and that can arise from the adrenal glands or from various uh, nerves throughout the body. Uh, sympathetic chains, et cetera. We have a category of kidney tumors, and there are many within that category, um, but but the most common of which is called Wilms tumor. We have a category of bone tumors, um, the two most common of which are Ewing sarcoma or osteosarcoma. We have another category of soft tissue sarcomas. Um, so those are tumors that can arise from really any tissue within the body. Um, 
And finally, we have a category of rare tumors. Now, these encompass tumors that arise from the liver, from the gonads, um, sometimes from the eye, the skin. And we don't see them with great frequency, but they require a pretty high level of expertise simply because they are so uncommon. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is leukemia the most common? Leukemia is by and far the most common uh, pediatric malignancy, yes. Oh, okay. And once a pediatric oncologist finds out the stage and the type of their patient's cancer, what's the next step? Right. And, you know, the workup in the beginning for a new diagnosis can take quite a bit of time. I think that's probably the hardest period of time for families because from the time you walk in the door to the time a family knows the diagnosis can be up to two weeks in some circumstances. And that, as you can imagine, is a very anxiety-provoking time in life. Um, we try to mitigate that the best we can. And so what we tend to do is we tend to have something called the day one talk. Now, you can't. we don't always have all the information up front. So the day one talk tends to be fragmented into smaller talks along the way. So almost like the day minus one and the day zero and the day one. And we are able to kind of deliver bits and pieces of information along the way, such that by the time we get to that final conversation, we know the diagnosis we know how to treat it, and we can walk the patients and families through what that particular tumor type requires for adequate treatment. And that traditionally can consist of chemotherapy, radiation, and or surgery. And that's very disease-specific, what combination is best suited to treat the tumor. Well, that makes sense. And I know from my experience, when I first heard the word chemotherapy. I thought it was singular. But then later, I'm signing off on papers that include several types of chemotherapy, one of which I can remember was Van Christine. So can you tell me what exactly chemotherapy is? Yeah, chemotherapy is a, is a really broad term to describe medications intended to treat rapidly dividing cells. That's probably the best way to describe them. So each medicine works slightly differently within that umbrella, but the goal is to attack rapidly dividing cells. Now, the benefit of that is that cancers are by definition rapidly dividing. The detriment is that there are other cells in the body that are healthy that also rapidly divide. So a lot of the side effects derived from chemotherapy are due to the fact that we can't perfectly specify um, which cells we're targeting. So for instance, hair loss, um, sores in the GI tract and the mouth, um, low uh, red blood cells or platelets, you know, some of the, the cells that are made in the bone marrow that help support the body, all of those are kind of uh, incidentally hurt by the chemotherapy. Now, the benefit there is that we can support patients through all of that. Their hair will grow back at the end of therapy. We're very good at um, providing comfort measures for mouth sores and things of that nature, nausea, mm -hmm. There are plenty of medicines to kind of control nausea, um, and we can transfuse blood products as needed to kind of support patients through their chemotherapy. But chemotherapy is delivered in various combinations of drugs, and the combinations consistently change, and that's, that's purposeful in the sense that these medications work better together than they do alone, and the goal is always to kind of confuse the tumor by changing out the combinations as you go. I think as the field evolves, we're going to... Um, come up with, we're already discovering more and more targeted therapies that are more consistently geared toward, towards an abnormality within the actual tumor as opposed to broadly um, causing toxicity. But 
I think in the next decade, we're going to see even further developments in that field. That's great. I can't wait to see what happens in the next decade. And moving on, I just want to ask about radiation. Can you tell me more about that? Because I only know about two forms and very little about them. One is very pinpointing and the other one goes in and kind of spreads out. Uh, there, there are a number of different types um, and it really depends on um, which particles you're using. So radiation is delivered kind of by an external beam towards the tumor and there are many different ways to target a lesion and slightly different types of particles that you can use to target the lesion. So some, like electrons, can target the tumor of interest, but also tend to scatter towards other tissues, which can damage other tissues. Photons are a different type of particle. Those also can target the main tumor, but have less scatter, so tend to protect the tissues surrounding the tumor. It would seem in everyone's mind that photons would be the best agent to use across the board, but they don't always work as well as electrons, and they haven't been studied across diseases in the same way electrons have. So while the field is evolving in that direction to decrease toxicity, uh, we're not there yet for all diseases. Um, the physics and the technology behind um, guiding the beam directly towards very small sites has gotten extraordinarily advanced. Um, and so I think we're going to get better and better at targeting even tiny sites of disease with external beam radiation. That's great to hear. And I look forward to reading more about that in the future. I am wondering about young children. Do they need to be sedated for radiation or is this something that can be avoided? Yeah, it, often we sedate. And the reason for that is that um, directing the radiation field is so important because uh, you want to get the tumor and precisely the tumor. not You don't want to uh, misfire. <laughs> so that requires that a patient stays extraordinarily still. And I think for some of our younger patients, it's just too hard. Um, the treatment itself is very quick, minutes. But even then, uh, depending on the site of the tumor and depending on the age of the child, often children do need to be briefly sedated for the procedure. Well, that makes sense because you want to pinpoint exactly where it is. I have a question. In the news, all over the news, there's information about immunotherapy, but there's so much back and forth on what is it. Some people say it just boosts the immune system and kills the cancer cells. Can you expand? There's a whole range of immunotherapies. It's a very exciting time, I think, in the field. Um, some immune therapies called checkpoint inhibitors are a mechanism by which to re-excite immune cells within the patient's body to better recognize disease. I think um, the theory is that cancers evolve because the immune system fails to detect them. So utilizing these agents called checkpoint inhibitors allow you to release the break on the immune cells and awaken them to again recognize the tumor that's present. So that's one type of immune therapy. Um, Antibodies directed at a particular protein on the tumor surface are another type of immunotherapy, slightly more specific. And there's a lot of um, press around CAR T cells now in the news. CAR T cells are um, really kind of a beautiful display of what science can do. They, um, T cells, a type of immune cell in the body, are collected. They're engineered to specifically recognize a proton that's specific to the tumor. And they're reinfused in the patient's body such that they can hone to exactly the target. 
you know, none of these things come without side effects, right? If you excite the immune system, you have to be sure to excite it just enough or direct it just towards the tumor so that you don't cause too much harm to the rest of the body. But that being said, it's certainly an exciting time. And we've seen some really extraordinary responses, particularly in leukemias for CAR T cells. That is a really fascinating point. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about it in the news. I just have a final question for you. And that is, what are some of the more common questions you get from parents or even those children that are involved in their therapy? Yeah, I think the latter point is a really important one. I think children that are age 10 and older, sometimes older than that, but many express interest in hearing about their treatment or understanding more about what they're going through. And we highly encourage families to either incorporate their child or to speak to their child about their diagnosis because kids are so unbelievably intuitive that they do, um, they gather a lot more information than we realize. And sometimes not speaking to them can uh, elaborate more fear in their mind than actually being honest. And so we do try to include them and, and speak to them in terms they understand, of course, limiting, you know, the scope of the data. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's really helpful to have them as part of the conversation such that they better understand what's going on. And Another thing I always say to patients and, and their you know families in particular is for pediatrics, we're very fortunate that children tend to tolerate therapy extraordinarily well, um, better than many adults do. And so I, I often kind of when I introduce the topic of chemotherapy or whatever treatment I'm about to describe to a family, I, I tell them to divorce um, any experience they've had in their lives with older patients having received chemo because often children tend to tolerate um, much more intensive therapy in a, in a much better fashion. And, um, and every child's different. And I think we're very lucky that we can control symptoms extraordinarily well. So even though it's, it's easy to come in with a preconceived notion about how therapy will go, um, I encourage families to kind of be open-minded about um, the process and, and that we're going to we'll get, it, we'll get it right. And it may take more than one round of treatment um, to figure out the best medicines to help with symptoms, but that for pediatric patients, we can we can do a pretty good job. Wow, that's really interesting. I had no idea the effects are so different. Is that because of the emotional aspect, or is it because children are growing and they have more rapidly dividing cells? What are your thoughts on that? It's probably multifactorial. I mean, their their organs are younger, their bodies are younger, they're they're. Uh, more robust in terms of what they can tolerate, I think. Um, as the body ages, we see this with adolescents. Adolescents struggle more than very young children. Um, and certainly there's an emotional overlay in terms of understanding fully what they're going through and having the optimism and hope that they do, particularly young children. But I, I imagine it's multifactorial. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you again, Dr. O'Neill, for coming on the show and sharing this information with us. It really is pertinent. And I... I'm just so thankful that you took the time to come on the show and I wish you the best in your future endeavors. Yeah, I do too. And thank you so much. Please keep in touch. I I wish you the best of luck with this podcast. Will do. And thank you so much for saying that. Have a good day. And just as a reminder, you're listening to Living With Scanxiety. Please visit my website, www.livingwithscanxiety.org and subscribe to my podcast. 